Welcome to the Locked On Sooners Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Now, here's your host, John Hoover. It is Locked On Sooners, your daily Oklahoma Sooners podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. I'm John Hoover, and for the next 30 minutes, I am in your ear. It's Wednesday, November 13th, and we do this every single day. If you call yourself a Sooner fan, well, then you need to tell your friends, tell your family, heck, tell your manatee that you are Locked On Sooners. Again, I'm John Hoover from 1077 The Franchise in Oklahoma City, 1079 The Franchise Tulsa. Find my OU coverage every day at thefranchiseok.com, including my column from Monday's Lincoln Riley press conference and, of course, last night's college football playoff ranking. Spoiler alert, bad news for the Sooners. Like, double bad, actually. We'll have more on that later. Again, you can find that at thefranchiseok.com. Follow me on Twitter at John E. Hoover and follow Locked On Sooners on Twitter at Locked On Sooners. You can also find me on Facebook, John E. Hoover Media. And don't forget, subscribe to my YouTube channel at John Hoover for all the OU interviews, press conferences, walk-offs, my post-game analysis, on-field post-game celebrations. I got a really cool one from the Texas game that you're going to want to check out. And lots more there. That YouTube channel again, John Hoover. It's Wednesday, and that means we really take a hard look at this week's opponent, the Baylor Bears. These guys are good, and I had fun pulling apart the numbers We're also going to look at last night's college football playoff rankings. We're going to see how Lon Kruger's Sooners did in Portland, Oregon last night against Oregon State. We'll also go around the Big 12. And in the final segment, you get your weekly press pass this week with News 9's Lee Benson. It's wall-to-wall content today, so let's get this thing started. First things first, the new playoff rankings are out, and the uh, committee did Oklahoma no favors. Well, actually, if you think about it, Oklahoma did itself no favors. As I predicted on the franchise, the Sooners dropped one spot from 9th to 10th in last night's rankings, hanging on to beat Iowa State 5-4 and four team at home with an interception on a game-winning two-point conversion where there probably should have been pass interference will definitely drop you in the rankings. OU nearly blew all of a 21-point fourth quarter, and the committee recognized the Sooners by essentially removing them and the rest of the Big 12 Conference from playoff consideration. Now listen, I'm not saying it's over, but it's kind of over. You can also blame the loss at Kansas State, obviously. OU would probably be third or fourth right now if they had just beaten Kansas State, and then if they had won that game and maintained control of the Iowa State game, who knows how high they'd be. Actually, yeah, probably they'd be about third or fourth. Anyway, OU probably should reassess itself and just readjust its goals for the remainder of the season. That means not the college football playoff, not winning a national championship, but winning the Big 12 championship. And that means, in truth, think about this now, this week's game down in Waco doesn't really matter all that much. I know, that sucks to hear and you don't want to lose, but it's true. OU can win this game and then run the table and the Sooners probably won't be in the playoff picture, meaning The best they can do is win the Big 12 and go to the Sugar Bowl. Or, oh, you can lose this game and then run the table and still get the number two spot in the Big 12 title game. And the best they can do is win the Big 12 and go to the Sugar Bowl. Those are facts, people. Hey, five straight Big 12 titles is nothing to scoff at. As for the playoff rankings, poor Baylor. They don't even have the luxury of blaming a loss at Kansas State for their fall. They're undefeated. All they did was find a way to win their game at TCU last week. And, you know, they end up dropping a spot too, like Oklahoma. They went from 12th to 13th. Unbelievable. So winning gets you knocked out of the rankings, apparently. So yeah, if 10th ranked OU beats the number 13 team in the country, that is just not going to do much for the Sooners' resume. And beating them twice, which might even knock them out of the top 25 altogether, I'm guessing the uh, selection committee would be entirely unimpressed by that. 
Anyway, you do have Baylor OU this week in Waco. It's a 6.30 kick at McLean Stadium. It's a big game. Don't get me wrong. College game day is going to be there. I'm going to be there. Uh, America is going to be there because it's on ABC in primetime. OU's a 10-point favorite, but listen, I'm starting to like the Bears to win this game, and I'll tell you why coming up. But meanwhile, back to the rankings. You've got Georgia, who has just an abysmally bad loss to South Carolina, and they find their way back to the number four spot in this week's rankings. You've also got two SEC teams, Auburn and Florida, who each have two losses ahead of undefeated Baylor, like well ahead of undefeated Baylor. Rob Mullins is the chairman of the selection committee, and he's the athletic director at Oregon. He explained to all of us idiots last night that Auburn and Florida, by God, have two quality losses on their resume. Yeah, two quality losses. Clearly, Baylor doesn't have enough quality losses yet, right? Because if they have zero losses, that's not as good as having two quality losses. Am I getting this right? Am I am I putting the math together here correctly? Baylor having zero losses is not nearly as good as Auburn and Florida having two quality losses. Okay, I think I got the hang of this now. Um, maybe if Baylor loses to Oklahoma, they'll move up in the rankings because that'll be a quality loss. Let's call this what it is, people. It's an absolutely asinine argument. They're ahead of this team that is undefeated because they have two quality losses. Are you kidding me? I got to tell you, this playoff committee thing this year is uh, kind of getting on my nerves. I thought Jeff Long and, and Kirby Hokut did a pretty fair job of communicating with the media when it came to stuff like this. Mullins, he just carries kind of a defensive tone every time he answers a question. Like he thinks you're attacking him personally, so he puts up his dukes and get all gets all defensive. He says stuff like, well, we watch all the games. And he says it over and over and over. He said it about six times last night. And then that's his point. That's the end of his point. He says, we watch all the games. And that's it. Like, we're smarter than you. We watch all the games. Listen, I get that he probably is. He's an athletic director, FBS. He's very successful at Oregon. He probably is smarter than, I don't know, 90, 95% of the media who do cover this. And yeah, he does watch all the games because that's what he's supposed to do. You don't have to talk down to people. And then he continually digs up stuff like, you know, gems, like uh, it's an art, not a science. And uh, it's all part of the discussion. He said that last one, while you could hear him flipping through the papers, looking for the real answers as to why Minnesota has one quality win at home last week to number four Penn State. And that's that much better than Baylor having two quality wins on the road, both of them, at number 22 Oklahoma State and at number 24 Kansas State. I mean, is it really? Is it really that much better? Yeah, I guess. Baylor has done itself no favors with its scheduling. I'm not trying to pretend that Baylor is schedule has needs to reward them for anything their non-conference schedule utsa rice and stephen f austin is just terrible so baylor deserves to be punished a little bit for its non-conference schedule but they're still undefeated they're still running the table so far in the big 12 and and i've said it before rob mullins is just starting to get on my nerves a little bit here's how he answered my question last night about ou and baylor actually winning their game last week and dropping in the rankings Oklahoma at number 10 and Baylor at number 13 play each other this week. Uh, it's obviously a high-profile game. College game day is going to be in Waco. And they both won a close conference game last week over teams that are around you know, 500. Yet both fell a spot in the rankings. What I'm wondering, what was it about Oklahoma specifically and Baylor as well? The way they won convinced the committee to drop them in the rankings. Well, two things. One is we don't project ahead. Um, and as we've mentioned several times, we start with a clean sheet of paper every week. Um, I, you know, as you look at it overall, Minnesota with their win against the then number four Penn State 
jumped a lot of teams and slid uh, a number of teams back one spot. So they start each week with a clean sheet of paper, and Penn State was ranked number four last week, so obviously that's huge for Minnesota, right? Am I understanding that right? Is that not a direct contradiction? Basically, the college football playoff boils down to this. We want to preserve the sanctity of the greatest regular season in all of sport. And every week matters. And it's a 14-week playoff. But uh, if Alabama doesn't win its division and uh, Alabama doesn't have any top 25 victories and uh, we can't find one quality win for Alabama, not one, then we're still going to rank them number five because they have a quality loss to LSU. And we're just going to drop them two spots because that's what we want to do because we're the College Football Playoff Selection Committee and this is Ala-freaking-Bama after all. I mean, did you see how bad they beat Duke and New Mexico State? Wait, wait till they take down Western Carolina in a couple of weeks. Then you'll see what we mean by how good Alabama is. Alabama, listen, they passed the eye test again against a sorry schedule and the playoff committee is ready to reward them again and again and again for the eye test it's actually getting quite tiresome let's get to some actual news sooner basketball oklahoma went on the road again last night and they played awesome they beat uh, oregon state 77 69 in portland oregon it was at the moda center part of the phil knight invitational after beating minnesota last weekend in sioux falls south dakota now ou has improved to three and oh on tuesday night because christian doolittle he's the man 19 points career high 16 rebounds as well as four assists you know who else has recorded a 19 16 and four night at ou that's a little bit of a weird stat line but listen to these names eduardo nahara and blake griffin that's who doolittle also hit a couple of three-pointers Austin Reeves is the transfer from Wichita State. He finally got going. He goes 5 of 9 from 3, and he did a great job creating his own shot. Finished with 17 points. Jamal Bienemy scored 13. Brady Manick scored 10. OU shot 50% in the second half, including 7 of 11 from 3-point range. OU shot 50% for the game from 3-point range. 11 of 22. Sorry, Beavs. That'll get you beat. Sooners are back home for a couple of games next week, Monday against William and Mary and Thursday against Maryland Eastern Shore. I've said it before, this OU team is young, yes, and they're going to take their knocks, but they look like they're going to be fun to watch this season. Up next on the Locked On Sooners podcast, I'll break down the Baylor Bears. We'll go around the Big 12 and a big-time headline in News and Notes, plus the press pass with News 9's Lee Benson. He's a professional podcaster, you know, so you're not going to want to miss that. All that's next on the Locked On Sooners podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to the Locked On Sooners Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. You know, I think the College Football Playoff Selection Committee thinks Baylor being 9-0 is a fluke. I mean, it kind of is, but uh, it's like they're waiting for them to lose the rest of their games and finish 9-4 and or something, 9-5, and you know, so they can justify their rankings. But I- I'll tell you, I've been watching the Bears a little bit this season. I'm going to let you in on a secret. If you're on your headphones, you might want to turn up the volume just a little bit. If you're listening on a computer, maybe you're at the library, I don't know. Uh, you probably need to lean in and listen real hard, okay? Here's the reason Baylor's 9-0. and You ready? They're actually pretty good. Yeah, I know, right? It's like that's a hard concept for Rob Mullins and the selection committee to grasp. They're 9-0. and They're actually a pretty good football team. Now, let's be very clear here. They are the Baylor Bears, not the 1985 Chicago Bears. They're not elite. Not really. 
But they do have a coach, Matt Rule, that knows what the hell he's doing. Just look at this team. Not just managing a football game, but in building a roster. Do you even remember that in his first year in Waco, Matt Rule's team went 1-11 and after the Art Bryles fallout? And they lost to Liberty that year. And that last year, they corrected all that by going 7-6 and in Rule's second season. Now they are freaking 9-0. and and Matt Rule is a frontrunner for National Coach of the Year. Although I'm sure P.J. Fleck will probably win now because, well, holy smokes, they beat Penn State, and he's crowd surfing. Anyway, let's take a look at why Baylor is winning. How many yards passing does RG3 have? No? Bryce Petty? No? Sorry, it's Charlie Brewer this year, and I'm telling you, this kid is really, really good. Brewer is probably on the same level as Brock Purdy at Iowa State, who nearly, you know, just beat the Sooners a few days ago in Norman. Both of those guys like to move around the pocket. Both of those guys can avoid pressure, throw on the run, and both of them can take off and beat you running with the football. Brewer's currently fourth among Big 12 quarterbacks, 260 passing yards a game, and 283 yards total offense a game, also fourth. Now, Baylor's offense, I will admit, isn't exactly lighting it up. They beat Rice 21 to 13, they beat Iowa State 23 to 20, they beat West Virginia 17 to 14, and that at the end of regulation, remember, it was 9 to 9. So, I'm not pretending that Baylor has this unstoppable offense, but they do have Charlie Brewer and they do have Denzel Mims who is fourth right now in Big 12 receiving yards, 75 yards a game. He's tied for 6th with CD Lamb with 44 total catches. He's also tied for 2nd in the Big 12 with 8 touchdown catches. He's also got three 100-yard games and a 99-yard games. He's six foot three. He's 215 pounds. He's a senior, and I'm telling you, Denzel Mims is really, really good. Tyquan Thornton is Brewer's other big receiver. He's 6'3", 180, and he's fast. 11 catches for 141 yards and a touchdown against Iowa State, and he's been over 70 yards six times this season. R.J. Sneed is another one, 6'1", 200, really fast, and he's developed into a consistent third option for Brewer. He's got 31 catches and three touchdowns. Josh Fleeks is at a 100-yard receiving game. Chris Platt is a sixth-year senior who has torched OU in the past. This is arguably the Big 12's best receiving core. Where Baylor has really struggled on offense is running the football. Kind of like Oklahoma, the Bears, they just aren't distributing the football much to the running backs. John Lovett, he leads the team with 532 yards and four touchdowns. And Jamichael Hasty has 461 yards and four scores. But between them... They have just two 100-yard games. Lovett had 108 against Stephen F. Austin, and Hasty, who was last year's starter, had 146 and two touchdowns against Oklahoma State. I think Hasty is the more dangerous back, and he's also really good in the pass game, but they continue to split the carries there. One reason the run game probably hasn't gotten going is because the Bears have had to tinker with their offensive line a bunch. They've started four different lineups up front so far this year. Sophomore Connor Galvin started out the year at left tackle, but then he got hurt in the K-State game, and he hasn't played since. Casey Phillips is a redshirt freshman, and he had just made his first career start that week at right tackle, but then he has to switch over to left tackle. Blake Badir was the right tackle. He got replaced for a week, and now he's starting there again. Baylor has seen three different guys start at right guard, but uh, left guard and center have been the rocks, you know, of consistency. Senior Sam Tecklenburg, he's held down the left guard spot, and senior Jake Frumorgan has started every game at center. In all, that's a group that has made 111 career starts on the offensive line. And as we saw with Kansas State, and as we saw with Iowa State, experienced offensive lines really tend to give the Oklahoma front seven a lot of problems. Anyway, all that offensive stuff isn't why Baylor is winning these close games. 
They're winning with defense. Baylor ranks, are you sitting down? Are you listening? Are you recording this? Pay attention. Number one in the Big 12 in scoring defense. They're allowing only 19 points per game, and they've given up just 20 touchdowns all season, fewest in the conference. They're number two in the Big 12 in total defense at 337 yards per game, but they're number one in fewest yards per play, 4.6. That's a half a yard better than the second best team, which is TCU. They rank number two in the Big 12 in rushing defense. They only give up 127 yards per game on the ground, right behind TCU, but they actually lead the Big 12 in fewest yards per carry, just 3.4. They rank number four in the Big 12 in passing yards allowed, just 210, which is one yard behind Oklahoma. But opponents average just 5.9 yards per completion, which is the fewest of any Big 12 team. And they rank number one in the Big 12 in pass efficiency defense with a rating of 109.4. They're only allowing opposing quarterbacks to complete 58.6% of their throws this year, and they have 10 interceptions so far. That's how good they've been at defending the pass. The biggest part of that success is the guys up front. Defensive tackle James Lynch leads the Big 12 with eight and a half quarterback sacks. I actually put him on my FWAA All-American ballot today, and I voted him third for the Outland Trophy. He's been just absolutely dominating people, and his teammate right next to him, Bravion Roy, he's got seven and a half tackles for loss and two and a half sacks and James Lockhart is the other defensive end he's been very good as well with three quarterback sacks the Bears as a team lead the Big 12 with 29 sacks and they are tied for the Big 12 lead with 18 takeaways this is the defense that Oklahoma wants to have. Baylor did take a big hit now defensively when middle linebacker Clay Johnston went down a few weeks back with an ACL. He was leading the team in just about every defensive category, and he might have been angling for All-American honors, but you know, you can't tell from their stats that they took a hit. In the three games without Johnston, Baylor has allowed 27 points to Oklahoma State, 14 points, and 23 points You know, in three overtimes. Remember, it was just nine points in regulation. In those three games, Baylor has given up 332 yards per game, including that triple overtime. Terrell Bernard began the year at Will Linebacker, but when Johnston went down, Bernard slid over to Mike, and he's just been fantastic. He had 10 tackles against West Virginia and 19 last week against TCU. Blake Lynch also has been terrific at Sam Linebacker. He had 11 tackles last week, and on the season, he's got as many tackles for loss as Wyatt Hubert, the guy who wrecked Oklahoma's day three weeks ago at Kansas State. Remember that dude? The secondary has been extremely good as well. Raleigh Texada and Jamison Houston have started every game at corner, and Henry Black has started every game at the linebacker safety hybrid. JT Woods, Graylin Arnold, and Chris Miller have combined to start every game at safety for the Bears, and the fact that Baylor can generate so much pressure on the quarterback with their front four just allows those guys to play free and easy in the back end. And maybe most important of all, as Lincoln Riley pointed out on Monday, take a listen to Baylor's two deep. Senior, senior, junior, senior, sophomore, senior, senior, junior, senior, senior, junior. That's their starting 11. There are seven seniors in the starting lineup to go with three juniors and a sophomore. Baylor's defense with all those seniors, the two deep has 211 career combined starts, which sounds like a lot, but get this, Oklahoma, by comparison, has just two seniors, three juniors, five sophomores, and one freshman in the starting lineup. The Sooners have 210 career starts. I don't know. I find that interesting. Let's do a couple of quick headlines. News and notes. Jason Kersey from The Athletic broke the news yesterday that Jaqueline Crawford, the wide receiver who moved to defensive back earlier this year, he's entered the transfer portal. That's now five guys from 2018 class who have come and gone. That note is thanks to Bob Prisbella from Sooner Scoop. That's Jalen Robinson, Kondarius Taylor, Miguel Edwards, Starlin Baldwin, and now Crawford. Oh, you didn't get Bryce Thompson on Wednesday. He announced, uh, you know, Tuesday that he was going to Kansas. But the Sooners may have gotten the next best thing. Thompson's teammate, Trey Phipps, signed with Lon Kruger and the Sooners on Wednesday, National Signing Day. He was MVP of the Class 6A state tournament last year, don't forget, highlighted by his 42-point performance in the championship game. 
Here's a quote from Lon Kruger. He said, Trey is a terrific competitor who is a very hard worker and shoots the ball extremely well. He has a passion to be at Oklahoma and will fit in very well right off the bat. Remember now, Phipps' dad is Conley Phipps, the Booker T coach, the uh, Oklahoma high school hoops legend who played at OU and finished his career at Northeastern, and uh, the guy who became a Division I assistant coach at Oral Roberts before he got back into the high school ranks. Okay, we're going to have to go quickly through the conference. Around the Big 12. Kansas at Oklahoma State, 11 a.m. on Fox Sports 1. OSU is an 18-point favorite. OSU is 6-3-3-3, and and while KU is 3-6-1-5. and 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 It's Les Miles' return to Stillwater, but I don't think he's going to have a very good day. Chuba Hubbard still leads the nation in rushing by a lot, 33 yards per game better than A.J. Dillon of Boston College. Chuba's averaging 176 yards per game, and if he keeps it up, he could find himself in New York come December. OSU needs a win to clinch its 14th straight winning season. The uh, Cowboys have won five of their last six at Boone Pickens Stadium and have won nine in a row against the Jayhawks. Puka Williams is the Big 12's second leading rusher among running backs. He's still behind Jalen Hurts. And he averages 95.6 yards per game. Carter Stanley, the quarterback, he's fifth among Big 12 QBs with 19 touchdown passes and 2,015 yards. TCU at Texas Tech, 11 a.m. on ESPN2. TCU is a three-point favorite. Both teams are 4-5 and five and 2-4, and four, so this game is absolutely huge for the Big 12's bowl implications. Both TCU and Texas Tech have beaten a ranked team this year, so figure that out. The Frogs have the Big 12's number one total defense, just 321 yards per game, and are number one in rushing defense, number two in passing defense, and number two in passing efficiency defense. Max Duggan opened the season with 143 consecutive passes without an interception, which is the second longest ever for a true freshman in FBS history, but he now has thrown seven picks in his last 97 attempts. Texas Tech has the Big 12's worst pass defense, allowing 309 yards per game through the year, and in total defense, they are just three yards better than Kansas for worst in the Big 12. But they got players, I'm telling you. Jordan Brooks remains one of college football's most productive linebackers. He's second in the FBS in tackles for loss and seventh in total tackles at 10.9 per game. And cornerback turned safety Douglas Coleman, he leads all of major college football with eight interceptions. Texas at Iowa State, 2.30 p.m. on FS1. Iowa State is a seven-point favorite over the Longhorns. Texas is 6-3 and three and 4-2, and two, and they have clearly underachieved this year despite all those injuries. But they have jumped on to the playoff rankings this week at number 19 after beating Kansas State last week. And they can actually still make the Big 12 title game if they went out. Imagine that. Iowa State is somehow now 5-4 and four and 3-3 three and three after losing to OU last week in Norman. Their four losses by a combined 11 points. That team plays a lot better than their record. Keontae Ingram was spectacular spectacular against Kansas State last week. 139 yards rushing and two touchdowns on just 16 carries, and both Devin DuVernay and Colin Johnson each had 110 yards receiving. Iowa State is one of just three schools that has not lost a game by more than 14 points over the last three years. Washington and Oklahoma are the other two. After shredding OU last week, the Cyclones now rank 16th nationally in total offense, 479 yards a game, which would break the school record. They rank second in the country in fourth quarter scoring margin. This is amazing. Outscoring their opponents in the fourth quarter, 100 116 to 43. The Sooners are glad it's not 118. West Virginia at Kansas State, 230 on ESPN. The Wildcats are a 14-point favorite. The Mountaineers are 3-6 and six and 1-5, and tied with Kansas for last place in the Big 12, even though they beat KU. And Kansas State is 6-3 six and 3-3. Three and three and three. Austin Kendall comes in 7th in the Big 12 with 1,989 yards, and he's got just 12 touchdown passes to go along with 10 interceptions. Skylar Thompson statistically isn't much of a passer, but Sooner fans know he's obviously clutch on third and long, and he has nine touchdowns to one interception this season. He's actually been very good. K-State, 
jumped to a 14-0 lead over Texas, but then fell behind by 10 last week in Austin, but then rallied to tie it in the fourth quarter before Texas kicked a walk-off field goal. Joshua Youngblood had the 98-yard kickoff return that started that rally. West Virginia has now lost five consecutive games. Told you we had a lot to get to today. Coming up next on the Locked On Sooners podcast, it's the Press Pass, where I sit down with another member of the OU Press Corps. This week, it's Lee Benson from News 9 in Oklahoma City. That's next on the Locked On Sooners podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. But first, a quick word from Manscaped. Manscaped is number one in men's below-the-belt grooming. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code LOCKEDON at manscaped.com. And we're back on the Locked On Sooners podcast. It's one of my favorite segments of the week. The Press Pass. This time it's Lee Benson, KWTV News 9 in Oklahoma City. He also hosts the West of Everest podcast, which is a fantastic podcast I've recently stumbled across. All right, thanks, John. I appreciate the kind words about the West of Everest podcast. You guys do a great job. You and your brother Grant uh, really know your stuff. I really enjoy listening. It's a really kind of an analytical, statistical, a lot of football plays, a lot of football stuff in there. Really enjoy That's it. mainly on my brother's side. He loves the stats. He loves those <laughs> S&P plus numbers yes. that Bill Connolly puts out on ESPN. He loves diving into that stuff. And I try to just follow along and provide from the beat kind of what it looks like. And that's kind of our pitch is that, hey, you know, just like you, I'm following this team along here on the ground. He's in Minnesota, and that's where I'm from too. So he's just kind of a fan that he knows the game a lot more as far as uh, the team a lot more than I do, honestly. Uh, You guys are going to have a lot to break down after this last game, that's for sure. We'll get into that in just a second. But what did you think about the crowd Saturday night, and what did you think about Lincoln Riley's comments to my question on the crowd today? I was going to say, first of all, great question, John, because you got a a really interesting answer that I think Lincoln Riley answered very well. On the crowd, we were talking a little bit about this before, I certainly noticed it up top in the the crow's nest, if you will, shooting the game. And I was telling you, I'm kind of numb to this in a way because I went to Oklahoma, I've been covering, I haven't been covering this team for very long, but I've been following this team for quite a bit, went to a bunch of games. And so the the student section leaving in the fourth quarter of OU games is just... It's normal. Every, yeah, and sure. you know that. You know, so I didn't think much of it. Um, it was somewhat disappointing this time, I suppose, because it was Iowa State, a team that we all know is a very good team. And the game wasn't over by any stretch of the imagination. And the weather was fantastic mm-hmm. on Saturday, so it wasn't super cold. Uh, but obviously, Lincoln Riley has answered today. I was going to say he tiptoed around it at first. That's not true. He, he wanted he to – built it up. Built it up. That's yeah. a better way to put it. But then uh, I think you do a better job of explaining his answer than I do as far as – what was his quote again? He said, uh, ultimately, when the, when the crowd leaves and the energy dips in the stadium, uh, he said, when our crowd is really out there and they're yes. really rocking, hell yes, we notice it. And when they're not, hell yes, we notice it. And that was a perfect answer. You could see it in his eye and the way he delivered that. He yeah. did that for a reason. It was a way to, to deliver the message without directly calling out fans. Yeah. And so I liked his answer. And it, it, I know we, we, talked to, we talked to some of the players, and they're not going to say that it really affected them because they're not going to obviously say anything negative about the fans either. But according to Lincoln Riley, it, it was a thing. Yeah. And I'll be curious to see what happens in the next home game. Week from this Saturday is the TCU game. That'll be November 23rd will be the last time OU fans get to see their team. So I would think they would want to come out in full force and full throat and maybe have an impact on the game. But this week, they're at Baylor. Baylor has looked, again, at, at, at TCU Saturday like they're doing things with smoke and mirrors, but yet they're still winning games. How scary is this game for OU? I think smoke and mirrors, I would yes, you're referring mostly to the offense and – at least that's the way I'm taking yeah, it because they the, ugly it up. Yeah, and it, it's an offense that you look statistically is very good. 
and they're in the top going into this past week. I didn't see the stats after the TCU game, which I'm sure they've gone down after after that performance. Granted, points-wise, they were able to put up a lot of points in overtime, made that look a little bit better. I know statistically, though, going into that game, it was like a top top 15 offense statistically, yards-wise, points-wise, yards per play-wise. Charlie Brewer is a really good quarterback. I haven't watched as much on Baylor yet as I will tomorrow and leading mm-hmm. up to this game, as I'm sure you're the same way. But, you know, you see 17 points against West Virginia. You see 9-9 to against a TCU defense that obviously is really good again. They're starting to hit their stride this year. Denzel Mims is awesome. Yes. He's a really good player. He's gotten better, I think, a lot throughout his career. I know a lot of people enjoyed thought he was the best player, you know, the year before, the year before. I really like Chris Platt, the mm-hmm. speedster, who's still there at Baylor at wide receiver. Yeah, okay. So that guy. I mean, I know he. I think he broke his leg, or he he did something. Maybe tore his ACL in the OU game a couple of years ago. That's my random thought of Baylor. I remember Chris Platt. Just to me, like he was the fastest guy in the field. But Mims certainly is their number one guy. Hasty's still there at running back. But it, it's mainly Brewer. I put it this way. I think the last two games, Oklahoma faced two offenses that were schemed up very, very well, and were able to exploit the deficiencies in Alex Grinch's defensive scheme as well. Will Baylor be able to do that? Certainly they can. They got a really good coaching staff and Matt Rule. But at the same time, I'm at the mo- point where I don't know what to expect, like a lot of people from this Oklahoma defense. Right. And yeah. uh, if it might be smoke and mirrors for Baylor right now, it doesn't mean that they could make Oklahoma's defense look exactly the same way it's looked the past two weeks against one in Iowa State offense that I think is better than Baylor's offense, slightly. And the Kansas State offense that, look at the Texas game this past week, it's not as good as as maybe uh, we thought it was uh, in Manhattan. What do you think about Oklahoma's playoff hopes moving forward? I think they're really good. and Really? Still? I think they're really good. I think they took a hit Saturday. Here's why I think they're really good, and this is something that my brother pointed out to me on the podcast that I hadn't really considered, but uh, I think it's, it holds some weight. As long as there is a one-loss champion, I don't see that team getting left out for a, a one-loss non-champion. There's no precedent for it in this playoff era. So that's why I think kind of Alabama – as long as Oregon, Utah, Oklahoma, these teams went out and there's only a one-loss champion, I think Alabama's probably done, in my opinion. I know that there's a lot said about what's this committee going to say. Every committee's different. But based on history, I think there's no precedent for that. So as long as Oklahoma has still has that one loss, they can go and play Baylor. And obviously, I think if they play really well against Baylor and the defense plays really well and we get the game that we all kind of hope Oklahoma can play the perfect game, if you will. People aren't going to forget about the Iowa State game, but it'll certainly think, okay, maybe that was more of a one-off. Maybe the mm-hmm. Kansas State was more of a one-off. And then get back on track because I'm kind of clinging to that one-loss champion thing because I think at this point we can assume, I mean, Ohio State's really good. They're going to probably win the Big Ten. LSU's a monster, and then Clemson's going to do the job. So we all know that there's kind of the one spot. There's it's one just, spot. Yeah, so that's why I think uh, it sounds like you were uh, – you're not as high on it right now. And yeah, that's perfectly, perfectly unacceptable. I'd number say. one, they're playing poorly. They just lost. They had an open date. They almost lost again. Some, some could say they should have lost. Um, and the playoff committee recognizes all this stuff. Mm-hmm. They're going to be looking very closely at, at style points, game control, yeah. how those guys with the one loss that are ahead of Oklahoma right now uh, are going to perform. So uh, I don't think Oklahoma did itself any favors. Win that game by 21, have some quote-unquote game control. I think OU – has a much better chance, much better chance of, of sure. uh, getting into the playoff. What we saw Saturday, where if Matt Campbell kicks that field goal uh, on fourth down after the C.D. Lamb fumble instead of going for it, maybe they the, the next touchdown puts them ahead. Of course, you can't, like I said earlier on the podcast this week, you can't ask, expect to get the gift that Jalen Hurts gave you right there. So, yeah, yeah, this Oklahoma team, you mentioned it at, when we were doing when we were prepping for this. They're Jekyll and Hyde. 
But we've said that, what, every year for the last three years, it seems like? Well, Jekyll was always on defense that's a good and Hyde point. was always on offense. You know what, that's a, that's a, <laughs> I take it back. That's, a, that's what it was, yeah. yeah. This, is a new, this is a new theme. And you're, you know what, I'm probably a little bit more optimistic about it, which is kind of weird for me because I'm normally more of a – it's funny on the – I hate to mention the podcast again. My brother and I, we kind of play off each other, and we go back and forth between who's kind of glass half empty, glass half full, and I'm kind of the glass half full guy right now, which normally it's the other way around. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, yeah, you're exactly right. Though. It is a bit alarming that Oklahoma and Lincoln Rally, the whole team, they knew what they needed to do against Iowa State, win with margin, win comfortably because they need style points right now because that schedule they've had is not, not great compared to the other teams, and they didn't do it. And that is alarming, and that's what you're pointing out, and I agree with that too. So my, my thought is, you know, they can maybe make up for it in a bit if they can beat up on Baylor a bit. But Exactly. I, and, and we'll know the rankings uh, Tuesday. We're recording this. You're hearing this on Wednesday. So sorry, we'll know yes, the rankings I, I'm sorry Tuesday, I mentioned the date. So. I know you're trying to. No, no, it's, it's all good. <laughs> he is Lee Benson. He is the co-host of the West of Everest podcast. On You can get it on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud. He also is sports reporter at News 9. Where can they find you work, Lee? You can find me this time of year on air at News 9, usually Thursday, Friday, Saturday when Oklahoma's on the road. Because our Thunder reporter, Steve McGee, he's on the road with the Thunder. He's always gone. He's normally on the weekend, so I, have, I kind of fill in for him. And then, of course, you'll, you can find Dean 6 and 10 Monday through Wednesday and on the Blitz on Sunday nights okay. or at 1025. And you're on Twitter. Yes, at Lee Benson News 9. And check out Appreciate his podcast, it. West of Everest. He is Lee Benson. He's a cool dude for jumping on the show. Lee, thanks. That's it for today's show. Locked on Sooners will be back Thursday, and I'll give you my watch list. Three players to watch for Oklahoma, three players to watch for Baylor. We'll visit the Sooners in the NFL. And you know the college football season is winding down because all the awards and all the All-American teams, they all want their ballots back. I'll tell you how I voted in those, and I'll also let you in on how I voted for my Sporting News Greatest College Football Players of All Time Top 10. I'm telling you, that thing was a challenge. And of course, it's Thursday. That means the greatness of Blinken Riley. The Locked On Sooners podcast is part of the Locked On Podcast Network. I'm John Hoover, and you can follow me on Twitter at John E. Hoover, on Facebook at John E. Hoover Media, on YouTube at John Hoover. Find all my columns, stories, blogs, and more at thefranchiseok.com. And don't forget to follow the Locked On Sooners podcast on Twitter at Locked On Sooners. Hit that subscribe button, share your Locked On Sooners podcast with your friends, and I would really love it if you left me a comment or a rating. Thanks for listening. See you guys.